Hey everybody, welcome to the 73rd episode of the JDO Show. I am your host, J. David Osborne, doing some laundry. There's my dog. She could tell that I was talking into the microphone, so she's coming over to say hello. Hello, cone dog. She's got a cone on, because she's bad. Today on the program, I have David James Keaton on. We talk about movies, Spider-Man. What the hell else do we talk about? Twin Peaks, other stuff. Pretty soon, I'm going to get back to interviewing um, different authors. It's been kind of a while since I did the interview format almost a month maybe but yeah i'm gonna get back to it um i'm in the middle of transitioning from portland to el paso texas so my head is kind of all over the place but i have a few interviews lined up so that'll be interesting anyway i'm a little scatterbrained this morning so i'm just going to go ahead and end this intro here uh enjoy yeah that's good that's gonna work sweet sweet so uh, the last time we spoke it was about what was it was the alien covenant or Wonder Woman. Nope. It was a wonderful woman. That's right. That's right. I remember now. Well, we're back. And this time we're speaking about, well, Escape from Alcatraz. But uh, you saw Spider-Man. So we could also do the Dave has seen it, but uh, <laughs> JDO has still not seen it routine, which is a lot of fun because I really like uh, crapping on these movies from a great height. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that that's the one good part about uh about Iron Boy. Mm-hmm. AKA Spider-Man. Yeah. Is uh it's got one one like uh suspenseful scene where he's at the top of the Washington Monument. Right. And they haven't done that in a while. They haven't had like um I realized as I was watching that scene that they they kind of did it pretty well. They haven't done that where you ever feel that like they're in any peril when they're flying and jumping around. Mhm. Because they, you know, their their powers don't aren't easily defined, so you never fear for them falling. But right. um, they gave a good uh, a good impression of of suspense there, because it felt like if he fell, he would die. And they filmed it really well, like if you were stuck up there in your head, and there was limitations to what you could do. Mm-hmm. So there's one good scene in it. Um, yeah, it was it wasn't too bad. I have no I have no strong feelings about it at all. I, we were trying to escape the heat wave around here, so uh, we wanted to go to an air-conditioned theater of some kind, and it was either that or Baby Driver. And Baby Driver seems – that preview didn't look great. And now it's starting to make sense because the real reviews are starting to creep out after all yeah, the Edgar yeah. Wright love died down, and it sounds like it's it's a rental. Right, right, right. No, yeah, that's the impression that I got too. It's I felt like – there was definitely that first wave. And, you know, to be honest with you, man, like, I'm I'm so in with, like, all the, the, the crime people, and I know you kind of are, too. I can never actually tell, like, who's trying to get a job now and, like, <laughs> who is genuinely watching movies anymore. Right. So we kind of talked that way about the Deuce. Well, I didn't think the Deuce looked that bad, you know? But, of course, you know, like, our, to our entire clique, like, everybody's like, the Deuce is, that's, this is pinnacle TV right here. Like, it's really, it's not going to get any better... And I mean, and to me, it doesn't look bad. It just looks like a regular did, TV. Like the, the like the, the trailer looks to me like when I watched the trailer, I said, "Okay, I'll watch that." Yeah, sure, why not? See, I was I wasn't buying it when I saw that trailer. Now I I could be proven wrong. I mean, I uh, the first season of True Detective took me totally off guard. That I thought that looked like it was going to be dull as shit, and I I think that's amazing, amazing TV. So maybe that's the case with this, but True Detective had a look, and uh, and I would. This is even in the same ballpark. This looked like um, 
it was like a cheap kind of Netflix show. Yeah. And uh, I didn't believe those people. They looked like they were, you know, rich people playing criminal. I just wasn't feeling it that much. It might, you know, it might surprise me. I don't know. You know something that's really interesting is I'm, I'm reading um, a collection of essays by Mark Fisher right now called Ghosts of My Life. And Fisher was kind of an interesting guy. I guess he wrote this blog called K-Punk since like 2007. Um, and so he was sort of this cultural critic type. He's a British dude. And he actually ended up uh, killing himself a few months before the book was released. Uh, he got really depressed and like committed suicide or whatever. But in the book, he talks about um, something called hauntology, which is like a longing for a lost future, which he tries to distinguish from nostalgia. But so mm. there's a lot of talk in the book about like stuff from the past and stuff from the future, and he uses a lot of pop culture to... Um, to kind of talk about, and he, but anyway, long story short, one of the essays in the book is about the movie uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Oh, yeah. Which is, uh, he contrasts with this 1970s BBC production of it with Alec Guinness, right? So he's basically comparing Gary Oldman's portrayal of Smiley with um, Alec Guinness's portrayal, right? Mm-hmm. And he said something in there that I've always kind of thought, but I've never been able to put my finger on, and that is that people in the 70s like looked different than people do today like their faces looked different if you look at picture you know and it could yeah oh definitely it could be you know the quality of picture etc but really when you look at people they'll have because you know hipster fashion has kind of brought back like the the pervy mustache and the weird hair and stuff right but their but their faces don't fit they they got the right, baby faces <laughs> right 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 and so that essay oh you're blowing first... you're blowing my mind here dude this makes total sense and it's this is just another one of those things that's conspiring to make it so that I'm forever not able to like what people like <laughs> right well I mean I guess to kind of wrap that thread up it's like what Fisher the thing well he obviously liked the 1970s version of Tinker Tailor because he's he basically said that. Alec Guinness is sort of fat, schlubby, but kind of worn out looking portrayal of Smiley is kind of in contrast to, you know, Gary Oldman being like wiry and, you know, mm-hmm. as th- there's a kind of a digressive thread where they talk about how uh, they tried to make Gary Oldman kind of like sexless because he's basically he's a cook. He like le- like his wife bangs a bunch of other dudes. Right. Uh, oh, you you finally use that word correctly. I did. I did. <laughs> <I've never heard laughs> but basically, like, yeah, his whole point is that you can't exactly pull these things off because there's something qualitatively different about the way people, the way people's faces were actually structured back then. Yeah, no, that makes total sense, dude. There, there was a uh, an episode of um, Penn and Teller uh, bullshit. You ever watch that show? I did. Yeah. It was a really good episode of that. Um, um, actually, I don't remember what episode. I'm, I'm conflating a couple episodes, but they they were talking about what people used to look like, yeah. and they showed this uh, slow zoom on this um, this uh, model type looking guy's face, and let's let, check out this guy's face, and and then they uh, pull back, and uh, they're like, "Why does he look like a model? Why is look at those cheekbones? Why does he look so good?" And they pan back, and he's you know standing in some dust bowl, and they're like, "Cause he's starving." <laughs> and it was some dude from like the, the '40s or something, right? Um, and that's what he looked like because you know he was his growth had been stunted, like those, uh, you know, like if you lived in a third world country and never got any food, you your body 
had to make some changes, you know, for to keep you alive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, they're never going to look like they looked in, in those movies, you know, in the, those old black and white movies. That's why they look like aliens to us. And that's why there's an authenticity there. That's, um, I don't know that I can't, I don't really see it, especially when people are playing as somebody in the seventies or a mortal. Oh, and also, uh, they also say that there was just, there was, I mean, it's more noticeable in the fifties, but there were just completely different, speech patterns that we can't quite recreate oh yeah that that weird uh fake english accent that the rich people did mm -hmm. you see that in every movie like uh yeah like uh, uh what the hell was that what the hell was that guy's name who debate buckley william f buckley like right, like his, right, right, his right. voice he had that kind of thing going on right um but yeah and now, we, was, now we've got that sort of um rich kids have like this up talk have you noticed yeah, the? yeah they do the up talk and also the vocal fraud they do, they do. And, uh, you know, we're not supposed to police people's voices, right? But you, I think you, you should be able to police somebody's voice if it's an indicator that they have wealth. I think they're fair game that way. You know, if you, <laughs> yeah. if being rich means that you start talking a certain way, right. then that that should be a signal for some sort of contempt. And I've been hearing it a lot. Like, um, I shouldn't say a lot. And I shouldn't say <laughs> ever since I came you up. You shouldn't to say a lot? And you shouldn't say, <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't say any of this, but ever since I came out to California, I've been hearing a little bit of that up talk and it's coming from people who, um, who are a little more affluent than, than mumbling, stuttering fuckers like ourselves, well, I know, guess. And it also, I feel like it has its roots in that, um, kind of like now, now James, we wouldn't want to upset us. Would, <laughs> you know, it's that kind of, for some reason, uh, rich people are really, fond of asking poor people rhetorical questions like right well that's what it beat their isn't ass. that what yeah isn't that what it is it's a uh, the up talk is is like an uncertainty and asking a question it's kind of similar to um when i used to close caption it was a real nightmare to close caption um british tv shows because mm -hmm. um british actors and british uh um well actually i'll just you know let's just generalize all brits mm -hmm. they can't say anything decisive it's just a non-stop um questioning the words as they're saying it um and lots of sort of's and kind of and sort of like this and and it never quite gets out and so decisions had to be made like do we caption all that shit because if you don't caption it um the camera is on them and their mouth is moving and they're literally, it's like that fucking uh, lost in translation scene mm -hmm. where, where he's, right. he's going, oh, 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 oh. and he's right, like, what right. does he say? More intensity. Cause <laughs> what, what the British guy is saying is, um, you know, stand over here, please. But they don't want to ask you to actually do anything because it's so, it's, it makes them so upset to have to, mm -hmm. I don't know. I can't even describe it, but it, yeah. but there, but it is sort of, um, and I just did it right there. Well, no, this, I mean, and a, I think I think that uh, once it, like to go back to this particular essay, like this this collection is really really good. Um, I've basically gotten through like he he has a whole essay on uh, David Peace and um, what's the other one? Uh, Tricky, you know the the shit. I love him. Yeah. Have you talked about are you talking about the musician? Yeah, the musician. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah dude. Yeah, so he basically talks about Tricky and how uh, there's this really interesting thing going on with him where he was sort of he had a rough life right and he was uh, his mother committed suicide he was raised by his grandmother and um his grandmother used to tell him that she saw his mother in him a lot and so that's what like 
it's basically like the, the genesis of all of his cross-dressing and why he doesn't really sing in his songs. He gets a lot of female singers to sing his lyrics for him. And that, huh. that's not, it's not the overall thrust of the essay, but Fisher is really good at throwing in those little geeky tidbits that I know guys like you and me just go crazy for, where it's like, oh, it's, yeah, it's, that's, it's the key. No, that's interesting, because that makes sense that um, that he came from Massive Attack, where he has that really you know, ethereal woman's voice over all his, you know, trip hop beats and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, like he was always, even when he left massive attack, he, he never really came out front. I mean, he kind of rap talks his way through some songs, but uh, the one album I listened to, I listened to like crazy um, juxtapose. Mm -hmm. It was, it teamed him up with, uh, with mugs from Cypress Hill. It just sounds amazing. Um, and it had that he had to find himself another kind of, uh, you know, cosmic lilting woman's voice right, over right. top of this, probably the most ominous music that mm -hmm. I've heard from him. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have a lot of his albums, but I, that one was in heavy rotation for a while. Isn't and it kinda, um, isn't it kind of weird it makes how, sense. Like, how like the um, basically the, the filmmakers and the musicians that we admire are like essentially just really good curators and then you know i was thinking about recently because I, I wrote this um sorry this is kind of like rambling when we, we, we can get back to a point eventually but these are just i haven't done a podcast in a couple weeks so i have all these thoughts. oh shit um it's, it's backed up yeah yeah it's all backed up right yeah i got i've got all these guests that i want to have come on but they're all like i don't know they're like out of town or something and so i've just been like sitting on my hands um but anyway so i was kind of thinking about how uh writing is very much fetishized as like this solitary pursuit but i kind of don't understand why we don't have groups of writers like we have bands you know like instead of instead of solo artists all the time what if there was these collectives of like five or six people who were just fucking cranking books out you know the way well wouldn't you Patterson wouldn't you get does. the exquisite corpse kind of deal though if you if you did that like <laughs> Well, I don't know. You just did one. You just uh, you yeah. just had a partnership with Cody Goodfellow. You guys right. did this the snake charmer thing or whatever the hell it yeah. is. Yeah, snake handler. Sort of yeah. snake ring. The uh, if you want something with a lot of um, a lot of cooks in the kitchen, uh, let me introduce you to terrible movies, dude. Because yeah. every terrible movie has like eight right. screenwriters attached to it. Well, I feel like there'd have to there there would have to be a boss, right? And that's what I mean by curator. Like, there's a you know. In, in music, you have like Kanye West, right? Who, for all intents and purposes, he's not he's not particularly good at any one thing, but uh, except for one thing, which is bringing great musicians together and knowing how to use them, like you, knowing how to use musicians like instruments. And yeah. with, with filmmakers, I feel like you maybe get this more with uh, producers more than directors, but their job is very much one of, you know, bringing people together and knowing whose strengths are what and how to do that. And so it, I almost feel like if uh, you get a good collective under a leader, and I'm saying that leader would definitely, without a doubt, be me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe crank this shit out, right? Like you could have an idea and you can set the, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say army of monkeys because I actually think it's a cool idea. And I know that like that would make it sound really unattractive, but if you set like this group out to do this specific story and you had kind of guidance as to how it was supposed to be done, sort of like a James Patterson thing, but like wasn't not that as... what that? That's what that dude did that did um, 
million little pieces. Didn't he form some sort of collective of writers and then uh, he would give them the ideas and and they would um, come up with something. That's where that I am number four, I am number five, whatever oh, that movie was. Right, it, came, right. it came from his sort of uh, his, his typing farm. Sweet. Um, but Sweet. then they kind of revolted because they said he wasn't paying them enough. Or, oh, right, but I think he had a similar idea where he thought I, I should just, you know, sit at the top here and um, let them hammer it out because I'm, I'm an idea man. Right. right, right <laughs> he's right. like uh, he's like Michael Keaton in, in Night Shift. I'm an idea man, Chuck. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if it really worked for him, but um, yeah, I don't know. Sp- yeah, speaking I- of a lot of writers, though, the uh, this Spider-Man had at least six Ooh. at least six maybe more now what do you think what do you think's going on with that and the fact that with tv shows you have writers rooms like why does it work in one and like it's an indication of disaster for a movie well it, i don't know how or where this new spider-man came from but i'm guessing that uh Back when I was writing screenplays and not selling them, somebody said that if you see on the screen uh, the word and or the symbol for and, it'll indicate whether they work together or whether it was passed on to a different group of people. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if I'm remembering that wrong or if that's not true. But so if you see it where it has, um, you know, it says Cody Goodfellow and J. David Osborne, then it has the little and and symbol and then it has two more pairs of names. The idea there is the two people worked on it, then they passed it to two other people. And that way you you sort of get the idea when you see that stack of names, you could quickly assess who had the who touched it last, I guess. And that's that's maybe who's to blame. Um, But then uh, (laughs) I don't know the the guy, uh, the guy that was in Freaks and Geeks that played the little kid. He was one of the writers on the on the new Spider-Man. And it had it had the other Freaks and Geeks guy in it. So. And they were towards the bottom of the stack of names. So I'm guessing that um, that was their way of putting that teen flavor back into it, right? Mm. Because, you know, like Tobey Maguire and that other dude looked like they were only in their early 40s when they were playing (laughs) Spider-Man. So this was a way to make it look like a kid again. Dude, you Uh, know, it's so like as a side note, I heard recently about Leonardo DiCaprio's Pussy Posse. Have you heard of this? (laughs) No, but dude, I'm scared of where it's going. Is dude. this like his, his entourage? Yeah, bro. In like the 90s, he had something oh, called the Pussy yeah. Posse. And it was him, in, in Toby Maguire. And yes. guess who else? Ah, uh, shit. Um, I'm trying to think of somebody funny looking and it's David nerdy. Blaine. It was David Blaine, the magician. Oh. The initial thing that made me think it was so funny was learning that Toby Maguire was in that. Because he's just such a... He he's a person who looks like a dog, and <laughs> he looks like an old man. Yeah. I was I liked his uh, Spider-Man movies better than this, these newer ones. But and they say that heroes save us. <laughs> and that's part of it, right there. That's part of the reason. You like that? You like that Nickelback? Well, this new one they threw in a bunch of. Uh, I guess their idea of what teens are listening to now includes um, the Ramones. Who would who would have thought? The teens are into the Ramones, oh, they and love them. they love them. It was clearly the favorite songs of the last two people that touched the script. <laughs> um, it's like it was like Killing the Joke worst... and The Misfits. Yeah. And... Oh my God! Have you ever seen the movie Elizabeth Town? 
Oh god, it, does that ha- hold on? Give me just a second. Is that the one with Orlando Bloom and Kirsten Dunst? Yes, yes. Yes, I have seen that, and I don't know why, but yes, oh I have. Oh my god, Cameron Crowe is probably the worst example of somebody. That's who it is. Yeah, who just yeah. says. Here's my favorite songs, and now I'm going to try to, you know, drape a movie over it. Yeah. And even if the songs don't really fit, and then when they play the, the the trailer for it, everybody starts chiming. They're like, oh, my God, that's my favorite song. It's like it's everybody's favorite song. Like everybody liked Salisbury Hill for a while. You know, you weren't, you know, you weren't cracking the case mm-hmm. that you listened to Salisbury Hill. But my heart go well, boom, boom. <laughs> this is just going to yeah. be the David karaoke hour. <laughs> exactly. Last one. We had a lot of impressions, so this one there should be a lot of singing. I could do impressions too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my name is Cameron Crowe. I don't know. I don't know what Cameron Crowe sounds like. Well, Elizabeth Town has the long. I don't know if you remember it. It has the longest montage of music I've ever seen yes. in a movie. Yes, I remember Where this. Yes, you could tell he was just sweating over how do I get this mixtape in here. Mm-hmm. He's like, wait, what if the character gives her a mixtape? And then, and then it's like this album of you have to go to all these particular sites and look at, and we have to listen to a particular song while you're looking at it. And the songs are all My Morning Jacket and uh, Wilco or whatever. And it's all just whatever Cameron Crowe was into. And sure. it just, it just felt so um, artificial, you know, like it wasn't really part of any. I wonder if like we had actually liked the music, if that movie would have resonated differently. Oh, I actually. I actually kind of liked it. I'm a big hypocrite because I, I bought a couple of those albums when I heard it. Oh, really? No. I just didn't believe for a minute that that was – well, I guess I'm two layers deep here. I didn't believe for a minute that it was the fictional universe I should have. I believed that it was actually reality, and I was looking at Cameron Crowe's courting mm-hmm. of all the mixtapes he gives to actresses right. with instructions on you know gaze at this particular thing and you know as you listen to side two of uh, Summer Teeth. But, did, oh, dude! Speaking of uh, disasters, did you see the news that Quentin Tarantino is is working yeah, on a movie about the Manson murders? I did. I'm, I'm all I'm all about that. That's yes. gonna be now. It could go a couple different ways, right? Does Does that mean that he's going to do like he did in Glorious Bastards, and Manson will be killed by Sharon Tate, who doesn't die even though she was stabbed, you know, but mm-hmm. she was pregnant. It's all very Kill Bill, isn't it? Yeah, no, ex- no. Oh, dude, I didn't even think about it that way. But you're right. It does have. It's like yeah. it's like a sad. It's like if Kill Bill was like five minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. oh no. But yeah, it could get if he if he was smart. Um, it would be nice and uh, and gritty and and I mean it would look like it would look like the opening credits to Devil's Rejects. That would look that would look great, mm-hmm. but I just have the feeling it's going to be kind of pulpy and and insane. I mean, Tarantino's insane right now, right? He's he's gone nuts. Well, you can look at it, you can see it because he's got that he's got the same hair as uh, Kyle MacLachlan in Twin Peaks, the, the evil <laughs> evil Kyle the, MacLachlan. The same look. He's got the yeah. same look on his face. Yeah, yeah. They actually look very similar, except Quentin Tarantino is just the goddamn ugliest human being that has ever like he's the video store troll, right? Um, but any but. So you can just look at him and see that he's actually kind of, he kind of has uh, the David Carradine thing going on right now, where it's almost like he's channeling David Carradine, right? Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. But I yeah, think, no, I, I, I don't, I, has he said, has he said crazy shit lately? I haven't even noticed. Um, no, I, I guess I'm, I'm basing his insanity on, um, 
mostly just inglorious bastards and hateful eight Mm -hmm. that his um i mean if you look at pulp fiction now it, it almost plays like a um you know very straightforward um pseudo documentary you know like it it actually it's and and that was pretty out there Mm -hmm. but he's so pulpy now that um but you know i don't i don't dislike it all his characters talk in speeches and the 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 violence is so over the top like in django people are just erupting gallons and gallons of blood but um yeah that movie rules though but I love them all, you know. Yeah. I love I love those movies, and that hyper realism attached to the Manson murders is mm-hmm. is not what you would think would happen. So maybe it won't. Maybe you know he's because he did he did have a lot of restraint in the first third of Inglorious Bastards. If if you remember, he like sort of cat and mouse that the Nazi was playing with them with that family hiding under the floorboards. Right. Like that was some really restrained filmmaking and uh and and with a you know, a lot of suspense and a lot of brutal payoff there. So he can do it. Um but how do how do you not channel Kill Bill when you're basically it's the it's the sad version, you yeah, know? Yeah, it's the, like, how yeah, do you it's not the re- tragedy, right? He's already confused enough teenagers that Hitler got shot in the face at the end of World War Two. Right. So why not? Nobody really. There's not a whole lot of people, probably that same age, that would know what happened to Sharon Tate. He could say anything. Um, oh, dude, and, think and about I, this. Think about this. Hold on for just a second, because okay, so the alt right, right now they're they're Nazi. They're they're these weird like basement dwelling Nazi kids, right? But what if movies like Inglorious Bastards that turned Hitler into a cartoon somehow? made him less threatening and made him more like just a guy who you could turn into a cartoon frog. And, you know, maybe he didn't have, cause you know, I mean like coming up, we had movies like Schindler's list and shit like that, that essentially chronicled the horrible things that he did. So we, we, we treat the Holocaust with like a certain amount of gravity. And of course we are 100% creatures that are driven by, our pop culture. That's not up for debate. So this I, makes sense. So any historical thing of, of any weight, I like that you're indicting all of film here. Cause like if you have, <laughs> if, if it goes, if it's too far in the past, film will minimize, you know, the seriousness of these, these things and make terrible, terrible people. I like it. Well, I mean, I, like I mean, the, look at, look at something like Deadwood. I mean, where every single character in Deadwood, if you actually looked at, what that person was about, whether it's the protagonist or, or not, was a horrible human being. And then go back further, go back to something like Gladiator, where you have Marcus Aurelius as a sweet old man. Now, Aurelius had a lot of good ideas, but he was also an emperor of Rome, which means right. that he wasn't... So you see what I'm saying? So so turning that thing into a cartoon, while I can respect what Tarantino was doing, I wonder if he almost didn't like in the pop culture consciousness of the United States, I wonder if he didn't murder Hitler as a, as a villain, right? So Hitler was then after after being murdered was then ripe to be resurrected as this kind of well frog, I guess. <laughs> I think I think yeah, I, I'm following you. I think that 
we don't pro- we probably don't have to worry about him doing that again maybe because it just occurs to me that for him to rewrite history with the Manson murders um well then again I don't know it still has that movie connection I was I was going to say that Inglorious Bastards it's like the power of film mm-hmm. means that he can do whatever he wanted you literally have the screen talking at the end and there's and you're in a movie theater watching them in a movie theater so it just it sort of bursts forth and says we can just change whatever we want because the this film it's coming off the screen you know she's laughing and it's just like a rewriting history mm-hmm. it felt like it had, that had sort of risen up there at the end and she um, has, she has uh, almost committed suicide at that point i mean she got killed but she knew that she was going to die right she basically made herself immortal through through that film and like the the burning film and i mean it's so connected with the power of fiction right and and rewriting these things with with images so i don't i was going to say um but by the time it came out of my mouth i already changed my mind is that you can't really do that again but then again it's you know, it's Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski and Helter Skelter. And it's, again, it's, it's in the media and you could still make a case for doing whatever you wanted because it's, you're still swirling around pop culture. You're not really talking about just like Inglorious Bastards really wasn't about World War II. It was about movies. Mm-hmm. And so this isn't really going to be about um, the Manson murders. It's going to be about, I would assume his, if his interests um, are still consistent. It's going to be about the pop culture potential there. So maybe he will change it. Maybe I, I, I would doubt that she survives it. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was talking, I was talking to somebody else about this a couple of days ago. And then I thought, do I, I don't remember exactly what happened with those murders. And I made the mistake of Googling it and it's rough, um, bro. it got, it got real serious real quick. Uh, you know, and I, I was like, Oh, I, Probably shouldn't have minimized that so much. Right. That was a really horrible thing. Yeah, did um, they did they cut the baby out or something? Or no, that's one of those myths. Um, oh, okay, but uh, you know that doesn't make it any better. Right. <laughs> you know, right. that's that's the one thing they didn't do. But oh, um, they just stabbed a pregnant woman to death. <laughs> right. There was um, the the uh, one of the interviews with one of the one of the cult girls was saying that. She was supposed to do that, but she couldn't do it. But she did stare at her for a while and think there's a there's a baby in there and there's a live baby in there. That's really weird. Um, that's, that's her quote, not mine. Yeah. So but yeah, they uh, that's the other thing I think is going to really appeal to Tarantino is the the um, girl cult madness aspect of it. Totally. You, it's making more and more sense. All, the more I think so much. About it. It's so much in his wheelhouse, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's making more and more sense the more I think about it. And I, but yeah, I wonder, uh, you know, I guess the Manson murders in particular have been, they've been fodder for so many, you know, TV shows and books and movies and things like that. I don't really know. But I guess at the same time, so was World War II until Quentin Tarantino kind of went in and was like, hey, what if we just had them shoot Hitler to death? and then blow <laughs> blow them up right like so it it'll be it'll be interesting but i do i don't know i get really suspicious and uh superstitious for that matter about the power of film which kind of conflicts i guess with my um i don't know with my kind of scoffing at people who bitch about movies not doing exactly what they want them to do um but i do think that they're powerful i do think that they have some kind of influence so i don't know 
Yeah, well, I mean, like I was saying to somebody else about this, that um, just like, thank God it's going to be he's still making movies, you know, like what else? What else do we got here? We're going to get a an actual movie by somebody with some sort of distinct artistic uh, presence. Because that's what it feels you, like when he we don't, we don't movie, have those. It feels it feels like an like a movie. It's an event. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's kind of like when uh, when I was working in the bookstore, when a Harry Potter book would come out. Um, it kind of saved the bookstore every time it happened. <laughs> like the like we're always creeping forward with oh sales are down push the push those gift cards, mm-hmm. and then a new Harry Potter book would come out. And we got to have a big uh, Harry Potter release party, and the lines were down the parking lot. We're like thank fucking Christ for Harry Potter to keep books alive. Yeah, no <laughs> you know? shit. Wow, and that's so really it's interesting. Kind of, and it's kind of like that with uh, Tarantino, you know, with the big event with uh, Hateful Eight. And there were lines out the parking lot to see Hateful Eight, you know, in 70 millimeter or whatever. And it was – it's like, yeah, get people to the theater. I mean they're, they're having fucking PSAs at the beginning of movies. Did I, I don't know if I was telling you about this. At the beginning of Spider-Man, mm. they have this, the fucking Spider-Boy come out and talk about how he's so happy we came to see his movie. What? And he has a – and he's he's got a British accent, by the way, which was – Strange, but Wait, maybe we'll on, talk. Hold on, hold on, back up. So he's, <laughs> is he is he in character with? Oh no no no! I I know what you mean. I uh when I went to go see what was the last movie I went to go see? I think it was actually Alien Covenant. I think the, the alien came out and said, <laughs> <laughs> "Little tongue came out and was like, thank you so much for coming.'" Um, but no, it was uh they were doing a trailer for this movie Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. It was more like the making of the trailer. <laughs> right, 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 right. But then after that, before the movie started, the lead actress from that movie, whose name I can't remember now, uh, was like, I want to thank you so much for coming out to AMC and, you know, enjoying your popcorn. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, get off my <laughs> I know. I know. That's It just shows that there's some kind of d- scrambling going on. You know, maybe the Netflix is killing them. But what was more horrifying about that was the fact that he did his little PSA, but it was also surrounded by the trailer for Spider-Man Homecoming, Whoa. which means they showed the fucking trailer before the movie. Whoa. Trailer of the same movie before the movie. Ugh. I mean, trailers are already – they're already a problem. Have you, You've noticed that they show little mini versions of the trailer before the trailer now? So if yeah, you watch it, no, I noticed that when I went to watch uh, the new Blade Runner trailer. Right, exactly. So they show they're like, oh, we don't want to risk you tuning out before you see this action moment. So every, like, they show every you <laughs> fucking every fucking new trailer of the Blade Runner, I get less and less interested. And I'm like, uh, well, I almost want because... it to just exist as a trailer, so I can just make up a movie myself. But the idea of of not trusting an audience is going to stick it out for the trailer is pretty pathetic. But so that right. means you have to put a trailer to the trailer. But the idea that the trailers before the movie was somehow worse because, like, when I when I want to see a movie, I want to rewind, you know, spin that odometer back to zero so that I'm introduced to that world. It eases me into it. Yeah. And that's my biggest problem with these superhero movies is they're already flipping around and bouncing around and doing all this shit that shouldn't make people go, holy shit. But it's, it's already happening too early. So besides the fact that that stuff does happen too early again in this mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. – we already had the trailer showing him, you know, holding the boat together and flying around and jumping off the Washington Monument. So, you know, our, I don't know if maybe maybe teen brains don't work that fast, but immediately in my brain is a checklist like, oh, guess we're going to see that boat. Guess I'm going to see the ferry. Guess I'm going to see jump off the Washington Monument. I'm going to see, oh, Michael Keaton's going to make that face like, you know, those things are coming. And then it 
And they've picked those things because they're supposed to be enticing, which means the most enticing imagery is ruined. So yeah. you'll see it a second time, right. first time. It doesn't matter if you see it after the first time, it doesn't matter. So the thrill you got from the trailer is the only thrill you're going to have because you're gonna, it's going to be a checklist of your brain saying, oh, recognition, not experience. Mm -hmm. Just a totally different thing. I'm almost tempted so the, to do that with Blade Runner, man. Like I'm tempted to just be like, okay. Let it, let it exist in the yeah, excitement yeah. of the trailer. I do. I will. I will buy that soundtrack because, like, I love that Vangelis Tangerine Dream 80s oh, yeah. style music. That's great. Um, like when I heard the soundtrack, I was like, "Oh my god, this is good." Um, which, by the way, did you hear? Uh, they're gonna put the score out before the movie comes out, but the that song for the movie Good Time. Have you seen the trailer for Good Time? No, I don't think I've seen that. No. Oh man, holy shit! Good Time is probably the movie that I'm looking forward to the most. Um, it's directed by these brothers who did this movie called uh, Heaven Heaven Knows What. It's on Netflix. It's like a girl addicted to heroin style movie. Anyway, it's got Robert Pattinson in it, and it just visually looks pretty amazing. But um, the soundtrack for that is done by this uh, artist called One O Tricks Point Never, and it's it's got that kind of like retro '80s vaporwave vibe. But the the song that they play in the trailer has Iggy Pop in it, and I'm just like. I'm really, you know, that's something that maybe isn't brought up enough is that movie soundtracks, I think, are getting better, even though movies are getting worse. Like, the music is fucking kick-ass. That's kind of interesting because it's funny that people, they can pinpoint exactly what the music should be, but they can't write for shit. Yeah. Like, why why can't you crack the code on that other thing? Yeah, like, yeah. Like the script, you know? Right. They're good with the sound, right? Like, they know that, like, whenever you hit a certain point, it has to be that that kind of just like almost under the skin, like like they have that shit all down, you know? Um, but then, yeah, you're right. I mean, when it comes to, and you know, we could actually transition to escape from Alcatraz from that, because watching that movie showed me just like how lean you can make a script and still make for a compelling two hours of entertainment. Yeah. I was surprised how good that, um, or how well that held up. I, I do remember some of it, but I don't remember. Um, I don't remember anything after him uh, meeting the guy in the prison yard. So maybe um, twenty minutes of that stuck in my memory. But all the best stuff was it was like experience for for the first time of him, uh, you know, building the heads and doing all that. Um, all that real monotonous stuff. That's the shit I love. Well, I mean, and you know, and we kind of talked about this because we did that live tweeting of it, but we were live tweeting and then you get in about an hour and a half into it and it's the last half hour and we kind of like really slowed down <laughs> and it was because I feel like we both became really engaged in what was happening in, right. the, in the movie itself. And I realized that I can only think of a handful of movies um, like Green Room and Blue Ruin are the two that come to mind that have any kind of real scenes of characters just doing stuff like process mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Right. And I realized it's because they don't I, trust the audience anymore, but I fucking, I want to just watch people do stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. I that's probably why you're, that's why you were so in love with them sweeping the peanuts in twin peaks. <laughs> I love that dude. I don't know why. And it's, it's something that is so, um, kind of dorky, right? 
the sort of uh, you know nerd. I really felt that the sweeping of the peanuts was a was a great commentary <laughs> on. It's like I have I have no deeper commentary on it other than I. It was really satisfying to watch that guy sweep up the peanuts. It was. It was. He left. A, he left a one little spot. But yeah, I'm yeah. with you on the peanuts. <laughs> Just want to reach you... through the like. Dave. Dave smashed his TV on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, no, I'm. I'm into. I, I'm totally on board with the Twin Peaks after, after the um, Eraserhead episode. But right. Right. The uh, one thing I've been getting a lot of really interesting tidbits because uh, Scott Adlerberg's been reading this book on David Lynch because he's gonna he does this thing called uh, I think Words in the Park. It's in New York City where he talks to different people. You know, he talked to like Megan Abbott and Jake Hinkson. And the next guy he's gonna talk to wrote this biography on David Lynch, so he's reading the guy's book. And so he's feeding me little tidbits like um, in the book, and this has been confirmed by Lynch's ex-wife i think he's not married right now so i think it would be his ex-wife that he actually didn't talk to people until his mid-20s he was a mute until he started so that's why in his movies the dialogue always sounds so strange it's because it's his approximation of what people sound like yeah uh, i i think that sounds vaguely familiar i would say that he he pulled off the dialogue a lot better with um, some of his other movies. Uh, if, if the one thing I might criticize about the new Twin Peaks is, uh, I was oh thinking about boy. this the other oh day. Oh boy, here we go. Oh no, oh no. Oh boy, my, 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 my precious sacred cow, my precious. <laughs> okay, go ahead, okay. Now, keep in mind, this doesn't affect anything, really. It doesn't affect why we're watching it. Yeah. Um, but he, and it's and it's probably just kind of incidental to the choice he made, uh, he's not really getting good performances out of anybody. Like, uh, and because they're, they're a bunch of ciphers and aliens to him, so it doesn't necessarily matter. What the fuck? Do- no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. I don't, I don't, he's not really getting, he's not no, really no, getting no. performances. And well, I, don't I think, know, I think those, that, I think a lot that, of them haven't acted in a while, you know, or if they ever acted to begin with, but I think he used Kyle to get some, doing all right though. He's doing a pretty good job, like balancing all that shit. I, yeah, he's him as the the bad Cooper is is real good. Yeah, but um, uh, I don't know. Lynch used to be able to wring some performances out of people, especially with um, you know, when he did that uh, when he when he takes on Hollywood, like in Mulholland Drive and uh, Inland Empire, when he's having people do performances. Uh-huh. So you're watching them sort of you know, deconstruct, uh, acting. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like maybe he's not interested in any of that anymore. Well, I would say that, I would say that the level of acting in this twin peaks is probably at twin peaks level. Right. Um, or maybe wild at heart is, an, is another well, example. And, and that's the thing I would totally be on. I would totally agree with you. If, if fire walk with me did not exist mm. because that, um, that all of a sudden made the joke real, you know, that with, um, with the series, it was like, okay, it's like a a satire soap operas. It's a lot of fun. Um, and it's this thing. And then all of a sudden fire walk with me was like, like, here it is in real life. Mm. This is, here's the actual abuse. Here's, you know, and here's the, uh, here's like the, the mirror image of, of those ridiculously noble cops. Here's like the shitty versions you know, and, and all of a sudden it was like, damn, mm-hmm. 
Like, I want to live there. I want to watch that. Mm -hmm. And so when he came back, it feels like this is a marriage of the two. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of mean. It's kind of fire walk with me mean, Mm -hmm. but it's also still got that satire you're talking about with the, the performances from, from the show, which are never really serious or we're not supposed to really get invested in them. I don't um, even know how to describe it, though, because I wouldn't describe them as unserious. I would just say that they are, they almost seem to be like, if you've ever been super, super high or, you know, on some <laughs> kind of weird trip, it's it's just kind of how the world seems. So, and I think that there was, have you seen the latest episode? Yeah, are you going to say the guy in the woods with his foot? No, well, there's him, but I actually think that the key is more uh, uh, that Candy, the uh, the Mitchum brothers, uh, like Playboy Bunny, who hits him in the face with the remote and starts crying oh, yeah, that, hysterically. That, that stuff was right out of his movies. That was a really that was a real uh, throwback to to like uh, Wild at Heart and Blue oh, yeah. Velvet. Side note: Apparently, also Lynch cries all the time, which is why there's so much crying in his movies. <laughs> um, but. So basically, I feel like a character like her is really symbolic of the whole, like the way that she um, kind of oscillates from, you know, just this overwhelming emotion to this kind of distant, uh, it seems like she's high or something, but she's really not. She's just, she's showing the two spectrums of lynchdom, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, she was, uh, I love that kind of stuff. That, they were, I like that, um. That whole crew, but the guy, but the, but the guy in the woods, the guy in the woods, uh, is 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 fucking. That's one of my favorite parts. I've, he's like <laughs> just thrusting his phone into the air. He's like, I know I've been here before. <laughs> <laughs> like, bro, I feel you. I feel you. But uh, yeah, but, no, but no. So I, I think that um, I think that it's it's just it's not really. It's hard to explain. It's not it's not bad acting but it is bad acting and it's not hammy acting, but it is hammy acting. There's something going, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's just Lynchian acting and but other people can't pull it off. That's the thing that I, I get, that gets, I think he's in my head is that, is it people, is it in anybody else's hands? That would just be bad acting. Right. Yeah. I don't see. I don't think that there's, um, I, I think it might be bad acting, but I think it also might be not because of a failure on his part. But because he has lost interest in it, I think that that doesn't interest him anymore. I think that what we're getting is um, a different approach to it. And so that means that we're getting people that have they saw that script five minutes before they read it because because he doesn't give a shit. Interesting. It's almost like how some people, how some filmmakers might not give a shit about like the background set design, but they'll really focus on the acting. He's the reverse where it's like the acting who gives a shit like this is what's going on with the lighting and the sound. And, you know, these, yeah. these people are just my, my dolls. They're just placeholders. Yeah. It might be, maybe, you know, I, I might be proven wrong by the next episode. That's the beauty of it is that um, there's no real consistency. You, the, the episodes could be directed by any version of David Lynch that shows up that day. Right. Um, that's why episode eight was, you know, a so, hungry young David Lynch. So, so great. Yeah, so the, when he showed up hungry like that, you know, I loved it. Um, oh, and then but of course, but he's like, also like, doing something. Go, no, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, and then Game of Thrones came back on, and I was kind of like, eh. I watched it, and I was like, eh, I, don't, I don't care. Yeah. The, well, the um, what I was gonna say is the uh, 
he has, I noticed the other night he's got, and, and this is also kind of incidental to the fact that you bring in all these people from 25 years ago that were on the show, but I've never seen a collection of so many gray headed old people. Mm-hmm. And that's something interesting is happening there. Like, um, they're, some of them are, you know, dying in real life and died before it was released. But there's, there's just some sort of interesting gathering of, of the aged. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. It's, I've never seen that on a show before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, me neither. Um, it is, it does, the whole thing does kind of have a very, it has a sort of like finality to the whole thing. Like, this is it. But then, of course, you're saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to making movies now. <laughs> so, I mean, who knows? But I really do think that if that was it, that, that would this would probably be, just from what I've seen so far, I mean, it could completely go off the rails. But it's been, what, 10 good hours of TV so far. So, Yeah, I mean, I'll watch it. Like like I said with Tarantino, you know, where, where else do you get an auteur, right? Where else do you get somebody who has any indication of a vision, um, and these guys are, these, this is visionary stuff. So even if it's bad, what else you want to watch? You know, you know, watch iron boy. I mean, I guess the, they do what they do, but, um, I don't know. Did, did you want to hear anything else about it? I don't, I have no, like I not said, no, really, strong, man. I mean, to be honest with it's you, not, like, I kind of just don't give a shit. Like that's what happened to us when we left. Yeah. I said to Amy, I'm like, can we, maybe let's talk about it so that I can think of something to say. Cause I knew you'd ask me about it. And she's like, well, we should probably think about why was it necessary to make another one? Because it's such a <laughs> but because it's such a strange bro, bro, legacy, I, right? I, you saw, know, I saw a tweet that was it was I've seen Spider-Man. Re, in, uh, wait, the, the tweet was in my lifetime. I have seen Spider-Man rebooted more times than I have seen a police officer convicted for killing a black person. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Oh, oh shit! That's like that's like right out of fucking. It was is that De Niro and Goodfellas? But you laugh because it's funny, and you laugh because it's true. Right, right. <laughs> that's right. some scary shit. Right, exactly. There's there's really no reason for this movie to exist. I mean, maybe we we tried to push the topic and and say like maybe the whole there's this sort of class struggle that um you know some of my friends have have uh, hooked onto that. You know, the idea that uh, the villain is um, like a blue collar guy struggling or whatever. Oh and so maybe it's supposed to. Oh, okay. But, who cares? Who cares? Yeah, but before we even got home and, you know, there's a lot of movie theaters out here. So it was only like a 10 minute ride before we got home. We were like, you know what? I don't care. Do you care? And she's like, I don't care. <laughs> I, we, don't, we didn't care enough to talk about it. Right. I didn't think that would ever happen. So, isn't I that, mean, my, isn't that Michael, kind of sad? Like, even if you fucking hated it. You know, you could talk about why you hated it, but they're just yeah. churning out these movies that are, don't even register, dude. It's just. Yeah, uh, I mean, I guess I would give this credit for having it. Um, it has a style to it reminiscent of of a kid's movie. So that's the kind of the credit I gave uh, uh, Wonder Woman. Um, and it's not totally a backhanded compliment. I mean, if you have a fucking spider boy, you might as well have it. Mm-hmm. For the kids, they're in, he's in high school. There's a kind of a um, ragged look to it. Yeah. That's uh, that's the one thing about this money machine. You know, this Marvel movies. They we talked about that before. They um, and I, 
And we talked about how certain movies have a vibe, have a style to them. I don't know. Was that you I was talking to? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So this one does have a new style to it. So it's it doesn't um, it doesn't look like the Avengers where that could have been, you know, a shield, the TV series or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's it's got a look. It's got some music. Um, <laughs> no real no real laughs. Uh, the villain, Michael Keaton, is, you know, he's he's always good. But uh, he didn't give give any good speeches or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's the thing. He, it's like they're getting. It's okay. So I I want to talk for a second about this good actor thing, because the last time we talked, you mentioned how Tim Roth is the big bad guy in uh, Wonder Woman, and now we got Michael oh, Keaton. That wasn't Tim Roth. I remember it was David Thewlis. David Thewlis, right? I always I mix those two up. Um, so David Thewlis, who's also awesome. And uh, Michael Keaton. And then you kind of go down the line and all of these movies have fantastic actors in it, right? But it's sort of this like weird Hollywood suit. Let's get, you know, okay, okay, bro. The generation before me, they were all about like flashy special effects, but not me, bro. I'm an auteur. (laughs) Like I get it, right? So we got to get these good actors. So it's, but... It's well, it's like spending. You know how like you can spend the money on good special effects, but it doesn't make the movie good. You can also spend the movie on these great actors, but it doesn't matter if you don't know what the right. fuck you're supposed to do. And if you don't have the script, people seem to think that it's going to happen um, just like organically. But you'll notice that if you don't have the script, your great actor is wasted. David Thewlis in Wonder Woman is a perfect example of that. They didn't give him anything to do. But then you might think, well, hey, let's just unleash these guys. These like David Thewlis is clearly a you know a witty verbal madman with all the ad libs he did like in Naked. Like that guy could go a mile a minute. Mm-hmm. So like, hey, let's let him loose. Let's. But you see what happens when you do that on a movie set is you end up with like uh, Island of Doctor Moreau when Marlon Brando was allowed to do whatever he wanted, yeah. and you get an even worse movie. Right. So you you need that kind of goes back to what we were saying you need that firm hand you need that delegator somebody has to somebody has to get that out of the villain and there's i think this is this is something i've been complaining about for like the past years you know the a movie's only as good as its villain and these villains aren't cutting it man there's you know what happened to those big speeches what happened to some you know choose some scenery like michael keaton literally has his hair sticking straight up and he's stomping around and killing his underlings and it you know, probably look good on paper, mm-hmm. but he doesn't say anything interesting. And Who is I can he supposed per- to be what, like what, what villain he's the, is he? He's the vulture. Oh. Okay. And there's something interesting going on there though, because if you think about it, first he's Batman, right? Yeah. Then, uh, then he's Birdman, oh. which is just totally destroys Batman forever. Oh. Um, and, and I, I don't know what you think of Birdman, but I love Birdman. Oh, I thought I, love it too. Yeah, I, thought it was I think great. Birdman is a perfect, perfect film. So then uh, he comes back to superhero movies and they give him another bird character, which is kind of interesting, right? That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. And uh, so you wait for something to happen and it it doesn't really happen. Mm-hmm. It's Maybe it's enough, like I was saying to Amy, that... I'm excited that Michael Keaton got another chance to come back and do movies because he was written off for a long time. He just wasn't making movies. Mm -hmm. So he's back, you know, after Birdman, and then they put him in Spotlight, which was uh, a decent made-for-TV non-movie movie. movie. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, you know, a great story and a decent script. Um, not a lot of reason to be a movie though. Right. And Michael Keaton was treading water in that. They didn't, they didn't use him at all. A lot of the other characters, uh, um, at least tried to do something. Um, so that was Michael Keaton's like, uh, prestige movie, right? right? Birdman was him rolling the dice and I think it paid off big time, even though uh, he didn't win best actor, but it got him back. So then he, he does his prestige Oscar bait movie with spotlight. And then didn't they give it to him for spotlight? I don't remember. I don't, no, I don't think so. I don't, oh. think, I don't think he won I, anything. I think he got nominated for it. But oh, the okay. idea was that, you know, he's a he's a he's a lead again. Right. right. And then he did the the McDonald's founder um, biopic. So he's he's back in a big way. So now they bring him in like the Jack Nicholson type, like here, you're going to come in and you're going to be our villain. You know, you're going to chew some shit up. Mm. We're going to see you and we're going to be like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's going to he's going to do good. Mm. But it's like they did that without doing it. It's it was like just enough to so that we know they're doing it. We know they're bringing in that guy to be that part, but they didn't make the effort of doing it. I don't know how to put it into words, but it's just it's consistently like they understand things on a surface level. They understand mathematically almost. Right. Yeah. Heath, Heath Ledger was the Joker. Okay, so we got this really weird. And think about how that actor he got. Yeah, yeah. And, and think was, about how well that worked. That worked so well in The Dark Knight because think about those speeches. Like people are quoting him all day long. But think about this, man. And like this is the perfect example of what I'm talking about. So Heath Ledger actually freaked people out because his apart like when he died and they went through his apartment, he had a whole shrine built to the Joker. Like, really creepy shit. Like, pictures cut out and books on the Joker and all the Batman comics and things about, you know, 1920s-era clowns and carnies and shit like that. So, fast forward to Suicide Squad, and you got Jared Leto, <laughs> and he's mailing Will Smith a used condom, and he's he's crazy. So, he's super twisted, right? Um, but that's... That, to me, almost works as a perfect metaphor for what I'm talking about. There's this realness to, like, Heath Ledger, and then there's this sort of facsimile of that same process in what Leto was trying to do. Oh, def yeah, definitely. Because right. if you think about what uh, what Heath Ledger does then, um, and that's it was brilliant how they, how they, how they um, deciphered that, is that he has a lot of – he has the good lines, right? You know, he has a, a lot of good – lines that he's saying but he's also so grounded that if he didn't look like that he would be a very simple creature yeah. and that's even part of the the appeal of that character like when the when alfred explains like how you can't really do anything with him because there's there's nothing really there to to like you're not battling a master plan you and know then, and then it, like what's so brilliant about that too is that it cuts to the, the joker driving a car with his head out the window like a dog Right. Just, yeah, just, yeah. Just enjoying the breeze. Yeah, um, and there's that movie is so phenomenal, man. That yeah, like, that, the, 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 he's the, a, he's the, essentially you you'd love it because the dog imagery. He is a dog. The dogs yeah. are all through that. The, the, he the, has the to, fish hook. The fish hook theory comes all the way around though, and now like now people are like Dark Knight sucked or whatever. You know what I mean? Like you know how it always comes around, and they're like, actually, right. it wasn't yeah, that yeah. good. No, that <laughs> movie was fucking. That movie is top to bottom phenomenal. Now the, because the, the sequel is not of the that villain. good, but. But that but movie will, is good. 
I'll give the two the two sequels. I think are um, I like Dark Knight and I like Dark Knight Rises because of the villains. Mm-hmm. I think the villains are home runs, both of them. Those are memorable guys. Lots of speeches. I love the villain speeches. Mm-hmm. Lots of zingers. Lots of hands-on crazy shit. Um, I would. I'll give somebody ten bucks right now if they can quote me a line from uh, from Iron Boy that uh, that Michael Keaton says. Right. Exactly. There's not, exactly. not a single line. There's not a single line that I can remember. He's like, uh, he's the scary dad. Uh, uh, you know, bring my daughter home on time when he takes her to prom. Oh, that's right, a, right, right. that's about that's the big moment. I think. I don't know. I don't remember. Maybe there's a line. I don't there's know. There's something to be said too. I think that, I think that a lot of the Marvel movies are so self-aware and so wink, wink, nudge, nudge. There was, I mean, I don't, I mean, DC took the completely wrong lessons, which I just outlined with the Suicide Squad thing, with trying to make their shit too gritty and serious. But Nolan just treated it, not with like, I don't think Nolan treated it with seriousness. He just treated it like it was a real world. And I feel like in in both the Marvel colorful tongue-in-cheek and also, which is better than the DC super grim, whatever, they're both being approached like their worlds with a tone and it felt like nolan was just making a movie that, like that he felt was real even though it's not it's completely absurd but he treated it like it was real you right know? that's why the uh, when the marvel mo- movies bring in that cosmic supernatural stuff it's kind of an uneasy fit um but it uh like this movie is is sort of based has that realism thing going but it's that it's that iron man realism right? right so every single device is so complicated and and tech heavy mm-hmm. uh, i don't know if you know have you seen how the suit is in this like i saw it's, I it's saw fucking had, it's, it's had, a robot yeah i saw that he had built it in uh in the um goddamn civil war thing hold that thought one second i'm gonna pee i'll be right back okay Hello? Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. All right, continue, please. Uh, what the hell was that? Oh, the um, the yeah, the spider suit. I, that was just one of these other things that I'm just I'm Iron Maned out, right? Yeah. So, so when you get a little mini version of him of Iron Man, it's it's uh, it's a little rough. Like the the suits, the spiders come off of it and fly around. You, the most of the um, you know, most of the suit has some sort of uh, tech heavy weaponry. There's a talking guidance system, just like with the Iron Man suit. It's she's got like a name. He talks to her. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, mean, think, I mean, think about that. Like, there's no faith in the audience. They're like, well, they liked Iron Man. Let's just do it again. Jesus, so he's man. so 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 no longer is he running around um, with the. Uh, there was actually this reminds me of. Um, there was a famous script that went around for a while when you know when Batman was hitting, and uh, every, the rumor was that uh, Cam, uh, James Cameron was going to do Spider-Man. There was a Spider-Man script, and James Cameron referred to it as the last temptation of Peter Parker, so that the script was really heavy on high school kid gets these abilities, and um, it's some, that's a dangerous high school kid, right? Mm. So, and so that's really interesting because his body can do these new things. Mm. And he said it was a really dark script and he was really into it, and it, but it didn't get made. 
Well, this has no interest in that whatsoever. Instead, they forget about the, the abilities the kid has. They're barely touched on. You know, sometimes he does he, he demonstrates strength, but it's always secondary to the tech, always secondary to the, to the devices and the devices that are built by someone else. Like literally Tony Stark builds him the suit and it has like a, it has different tutorials that he's supposed to use. And so the entire movie is him like talking to his suit and figuring out what it can do. And instead of like, you know, having a, a visual conversation with his body and what his body can do. Right. Because that's the interesting part. Not well, that's like, what it's supposed to be, man. Exactly. That's what it's that's what it's supposed to, and it's supposed to be a high school kid who suddenly has these abilities, not a high school kid when I was who in suddenly school, has some rich guy's bullshit, you know. It's I like was, somebody's gotta go ahead. When I was in high school, we used to take my buddy Kennedy. Uh, Kennedy was a was a kid who's uh whose parents didn't love him, right? Like they had split up or whatever. And and he, he was just our punching bag. So we would put a bicycle helmet on Kennedy and uh, there was a porta potty by where we lived and we would open the door and he would do this willingly because he just needed companionship. But we would put him in a shopping cart and run full force into the curb and launch Kennedy into the porta potty, knocking it over, right? Now, how interesting would it be to take that character and give them spider powers? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, exactly. Like and- being a teenager is fucking weird and gross. And, and, and yeah, and that, that was the other problem with the, the second reboot is that kid would look like a model. Yeah. So, you know, he has no trouble in high school. That was his name, Andrew Garfield or whatever. Yeah, he's the one like, from Hacksaw Ridge. I just yeah. don't know why they want me to kill people. <laughs> but he's like 6'2 and looks like a model. He's, he's going to have trouble in high school. Meanwhile, they bring in this new kid and they establish him as a nerd type and he's Picked on by like arguably the lamest bully ever, somebody else in the math team or whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, he never he never has that moment of you know. Wait, so he's picked on by another nerd? Yes, yes. <laughs> but it's not even it's not even satisfying. That sounds better than it is. Mm-hmm. There there are many moments where they drop the ball on how they could have made it satisfying for him, like in a high school triumphant way. Um, cause they, they want to, you know, nail the John Hughesness of the potential here with the, with him in high school and they just skip it all because he's too busy talking to his robot suit and it's, he's a, I'm he's, really it's upset. fucking, I didn't, I didn't realize they made dude, it like a tech thing. Like that's really so, upsetting. So tech heavy, like to where there's like little Star Trekky hovering holograms of cities floating over his wrists uh, to where there's like through his eyes, you see all this information no. Oh. And the, exactly. It's and it's because they had no faith in doing something different. What's pretty hilarious, though, if you want to watch it for just its comic potential, is it's clear that Robert Downey Jr. was initially supposed to be more of the movie. And then someone looked at what he's getting paid now. And they said, <laughs> they're like, we can't afford him to be through this whole movie. So it jumps through so many hoops to have these Robert Downey Jr. surrogates. So imagine this, like he'll be talking, Iron Man will fly up and save the day because he's fucking up because he doesn't understand his suit. Not that he doesn't understand his body, which is a great, you know, uh, symbolism of, of puberty. Instead, he doesn't understand this rich guy's suit, or which is, is not that. Like, or is it more like symbolic of modern day puberty? With the <laughs> I shit, guess. Right? I don't know. But yeah, so, so he flies up and they have a conversation and then it's revealed that that's a robot that he's talking to it's one of the iron man suits that's like on remote 
but it has no Robert, way, Robert Jr. Dude. So wait, that's just the beginning of this. No thing. fucking way. <laughs> so because they they don't have to they they can't afford him, I guess. So then that's just the <laughs> that's just the tip of the iceberg. So there's all these moments when he has to be there. It's just they the fi- fucking like he's like a sock puppet pops up. Yeah, like, hey, it's with a, a sock puppet with a fucking dumb <laughs> yeah. goatee. Like, hey, exactly. it's me, Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> exactly. There's all these there's all these sequences where he has this really close relationship with the limo driver. Uh-huh. And the limo driver is the one who's kind of like getting him out of fixes. And and like he's the one he contacts when there's trouble. You know, that was supposed to be Robert Downey Jr. Because there's oh, yeah. nobody. Nobody in that committee was like, you know, what we need more of the limo driver. Yeah, we need to put the put, let's a little, get... put a little diehard reference in there. <laughs> yeah. So they got a bunch. So that's only part of it, dude. So then also they've got the they introduced the voice of his suit. No way. Really? So so the voice is a woman's voice that he talks to and asks it questions and it tells him his suit talks. Yes. He talks to it. This is the worst thing. This is so this is the worst thing. He talks to it. Yeah. So that's at least three. It's supposed to be this Cronenbergian weird. It's about puberty, man. It's about puberty. Instead, it's about a suit. So they've but got that these... speaks to it, man. That speaks to this whole thing. It's not about puberty problem. anymore. Yeah, right. But yeah, the the idea that Downey Jr. was clearly supposed to be part of that script, and they found all these workarounds. And he's like, "I need, I need ten million dollars." And they're like, So when he when he does show up, he's it's kind of like uh, you, uh, you know George Romero died recently, so everybody's revisiting all his movies. And uh, Land of the Dead um, is getting everybody's a, pretending to be a, a huge Romero. Anyway, well, they're so. they're also pretending that Land of the Dead was perfect, and that's that was <laughs> <laughs> that movie wasn't great. But what, the one thing that I really appreciated about Land of the Dead was it was clear that they hired uh, Dennis Hopper for about five seconds because mm-hmm. he does his entire performance like in a comfortable hotel room. Yeah, and yeah. I and I know that's part of the script that it all takes place in a hotel, but there's a there's a long legacy of uh, rich, um, big name actors who are in movies for one scene, like behind a desk. Have you seen, uh, have you seen, uh, have you seen the brave? Did we talk about this movie? You did yeah. last time, but I haven't seen it. Is there a big name sitting behind a desk? Marlon Brando's in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's, like, he's, in, he's in one scene. He's like, we're going to cut your balls off. And then that's it. <laughs> right. And you can yeah. tell, you can tell like with Brando, right? Like Brando never fucking, at that point he was so far beyond like memorizing lines. That was just not his thing right. at all. Exactly. So when Downey Jr. has a has a big moment in this, he's he's literally at a party, just like hanging out at a party, and it looks suspiciously like a really nice party that maybe he was actually at. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, like uh, Bob, let's we get you. Get to, it, let's get it done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mister Mister Downey Jr., can we get you over here for just a second? Like, I like to I like to pretend that he actually goes by Mister Downey Jr. That'd be funny. Uh, it's so funny though. So it's nothing but Robert Downey Jr. phone calls and computer calls and r- robot surrogates and his dialogue through the mouth of the limo driver and the and it's it's just because you know that he was supposed to be tutored by that guy the whole movie. Right. That and they just said it. either they couldn't afford it or Well they set that up in Civil War too. They set it up that you know, Robert Downey Jr. would be like his his guy. Right. He owns the paper on the kid. The kid's like right. part of his, um, you know, he's in his internship. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. You know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe uh, if, if you were to 
give them the most credit, you might think that they they sort of felt the winds blowing, that people are iron manned out, mm. and that they pulled that character back. But I'm guessing um, Dude, it's no, because no, there's that no guy, way. There's they no, can't no they didn't want to pay Robert Downey Jr. to be in a whole movie. Like it's <laughs> it's that simple. He's like, look, if I'm in this thing, I need I need thirty five million dollars. They're like, oh shit. How about one scene? He's like, I'll do it for three million. <laughs> How about one scene in a series of high tech phone calls? Sold. Sold. Yeah, you got it. How long is this going to take me? A day and a half. You got it. All right. Cool. <laughs> so anyway. But yeah, yeah, no, that 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 shit all sucks. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I mean, um, I'm trying to think of movies that I've seen recently. I've mostly just been watching like stand up comedy. I really like stand-up comedy. Michael Seems... Michael Keaton was a stand-up comic. Do you know that? Oh yeah, I I'm, I remember him when he first his first movie was Night Shift. We, were, I was I was quoting him earlier with his uh, "I'm an idea man, Chuck." That was his right off the comic uh, scene into that movie, and he still got that that comic sound to him. Like, you know, he sounds like he's in an open mic just riffing. Right, right, right. I... And he's never he's never really lost that. He's always had that flavor, you know. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other movies. I liked Multiplicity. I remember that one. Um, I like that, like, that was at a time, right? Multiplicity was at a time where he just had, one of his clones was just retarded, right? And that was, like, the joke, right? Was it, was, was it, well, it was, a, it was a, literally a copy of a copy, right? It was the co- yeah, it's like you don't make the copy of the copy because it'll come out a little funny. And then it right, comes right. out and it's, it might as well have had, like, one of those fucking propeller hats on, you know? Like, um <laughs> Well, what's funny is that movie was uh, it wasn't that well received because it was it was an attempt to do another Groundhog Day. Right. Uh, it was Harold Ramis's follow up where mm. Harold Ramis had this big accidental hit where Groundhog Day became an instant classic. So people were looking for we need another high concept comedy like comedy mixed with some science fiction. And that seemed like a no brainer. It seemed like it, everything was poised for it to be perfect. Um, and you probably, maybe you have fond memories of it, but I remember being a, it being a disappointment mm-hmm. at the time. Like, uh, it's not quite the potential of having, you know, a half dozen Michael Keaton's <laughs> I'm just picturing should have like, been a like, home run. What, like, what was this? Like you're in like your mid twenties or something when this came out or whatever. Just like, <laughs> yeah, it's just like that Dave. like, uh, excuse me. Um, <laughs> nice try. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's funny. In, in I, got some, it, I got some Miramax movies to watch. Yeah, so, exactly. So excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> so back in uh, Toledo, Ohio, where I was living when that came out, uh, there was a. Uh, what's, uh, there what's, was a, what's Toledo like, by the way? Is it is it cool? Uh, it's like a it's like a kind of smaller Detroit little, like not or well, it's probably closer to Cleveland. It's way smaller in Detroit. Is it is it, not, I, is it not bad or like it's like it doesn't better, have or? the it doesn't have the history of Cleveland in it. So it's, it's, um, I don't know, but it's, it's conducive to creativity because you got to find shit to do there. Right. It's not, you know, it's not as in bad a state as Flint. Mm-hmm. It's not as, doesn't have the culture touchstones like Ann Arbor. It doesn't have the rock and roll hall of fame like Cleveland, but it's kind of similar to them. But God damn it. It's Toledo. It's, it's T-Town, man. Yeah, we got yeah. the, we got the Toledo mud hens. But there was a there was a radio commercial. This guy um, was selling appliances, and he took a he. His name was Steve, 
So he took a clip from Multiplicity where you remember the the copy of the copy keeps calling everybody Steve, even though their names aren't Steve. Uh-huh. He's like, hi, Steve, every time somebody uh-huh. comes in the room. Uh-huh. So this radio commercial back in Toledo, back in the 80s, would be like, hi, Steve, or in the early 90s. And uh, they just they just looped that high steam so it was burned into my brain. Jesus Christ. So you can see how that also sort of lowered the um, respect for that particular movie. Because every time I turn on... They used, to wanna... do that. they used to do that with the mask. Like, uh, wherever... Uh, when I uh, lived in Oklahoma as a kid, when the mask came out, like it would be one of those things like, Monday, 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 somebody <laughs> stop me. Too many deals. <laughs> 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 yeah it's time to p-a-r-t-y because we got them sales 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 oh <laughs> anyway. uh, shit anyway so yes what we we're going to talk about what was the uh the the idea of this particular podcast we we're going to talk oh, about i don't from... know we were going to talk about escape yeah, we... from alcatraz but really yeah. there, there's not much to riff on because i just kind of liked it you know yeah plus um yeah i was telling you about that uh some dude on Twitter got all mad at me for mm-hmm. for saying the the wrong thing about where that uh, collection idea came from. Was I talking to you about Wait, that? Wait, no, no, no. Please, please rehash. I don't remember. Oh shit! So it's a fucking dude. Uh, there, there was some oh, interview wait, about, about about hard sentences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, so was... do it, do it. Let's put this dude on blast. Let's go. <laughs> I'm not gonna do that because uh, somebody else. Let's go. Let's, somebody let's... else. Somebody else was telling me that I I misread that whole conversation and that they were actually joking with me. Okay. I'm I can't tell anymore of what's a joke. I don't know. In my in my old age, it, it all seems so so serious. <laughs> <laughs> so when he, when he started saying these things, I thought uh, you know, I I kind of uh, like went zero to sixty a little quick. But mm-hmm. what it reminded me of of what I'm going to get the point I'm going to get to in a second. But to sum up, basically. There was an interview where the guy, where somebody asked, "Where did you get the idea to put together the collection hard sentences about Alcatraz?" And I said, "I went on the Alcatraz tour, and it was amazing. And when it was over, we went into the gift shop. And the whole time, I'm thinking there, there really needs to be something to like encapsulate this experience. You know, maybe it's in the gift shop. And in the gift shop, I started looking at all the books, and I saw that there weren't a whole lot of books. That in the gift shop, they had." a pretty shitty selection. So by the end of the day, me and uh, um, my wife and her sister and her sister's husband and their friends had brainstormed the idea for putting together a collection of short stories based on Alcatraz. So I basically answered the question by saying, I went into the gift shop and there wasn't a whole lot there. So this guy on Twitter is like, nice research trail, jerk. I'm like, what? Are you serious? And then I, I said, well, you know, I there aren't a whole lot of there's not a whole lot out there about Alcatraz um, as far as movies. I'm really into movies. Who, who was who, was this somebody that we know? That we no, I don't. Tell? I don't know. Him. No. Okay. I, so so I'm I'm, I'm going to let you finish, but I just have to interject this really fast, which is that on Facebook I add a lot of people who I don't really know, and I've had to back off a lot because it seems like everybody read this book, The Game. <laughs> book the game by Neil Strauss, where it's like no, but I, I think I know where this is going. If, but you, yeah. if you want to get a hot chick, you gotta neg her. Yeah, right? you get exactly. right. You have to go in and like say something fucked up, and they'll be like, "Ooh, took me down a notch." Now we're friends, and I get that shit all the time on my Facebook. And what's so funny is that like people do this to me like daily, 
and as soon as I see it, I'm just like, I, I hate you forever. Like we're never, we're never yeah. going to be friends. <laughs> That's what was so weird about it. Because it, it, I even went back and looked at what I had said in that interview. Cause it, it seemed like maybe I, I made it seem like I was doing a serious project and researching Alcatraz. But no, I literally said I walked into the gift shop and said, hey, I'd like to sell a book in the gift shop. They don't got shit here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was that simple. So I had moved into a conversation about movies and saying my main source of interest is movies. And that I can tell you without any hesitation because the guy was like, there is a long history of Alcatraz literature and film out there. Okay. And I said, you know what, dude? There isn't. There might be as far as books, but there's, first of all, there's very little fiction because I did research that and there's no movies. And I, and I was pretty sure I was right when I said it. Cause that's the key is being pretty sure you're right when you declare something. Right. <laughs> so right. I have since looked and I'm glad to be vindicated. There aren't any fucking Alcatraz movies. And I knew that when I said it because escape from Alcatraz and the rock, that's about it, dude. Yeah. You know what else there is? There's, from the 60s, you've got Birdman of Alcatraz with Burt Lancaster. Okay, you know, it's a not a, a, an accurate portrayal, but it's sort of well-known. But I think it's more well-known because everybody knows about the Birdman of Alcatraz. Well, we really it's, didn't it's, have it's, it's Birds of Alcatraz. Things, yeah, it's, it's one of those things about, like, uh, the scarcity, right? Like, the scarcity of it makes the ones that do exist really kind of pop. Yeah. Right? And so if you're like, there's no Alcatraz movies, people are like, well, Escape from Alcatraz and The Rock. And you're like, okay, and? Exactly. And that's what I said crickets, to him. Crickets, I, I er, said, er, if you er, could, er, I said, if you can name me um, another Alcatraz movie without Googling, um, knock yourself out. I don't think you can do it. Because oh, the only ones that are left are, I would, it, it's kind of a stretch to say point blank is an Alcatraz movie, but if there is a sequence that uh, features Alcatraz pretty heavily. And Alcatraz is kind of burned into that movie. So I would say that sort of counts, but it's not really about Alcatraz and it's after it's closed too. So, but okay, I'll give them point blank after that. There ain't shit. Right. Murder and in I, the first, the fucking Kevin Bacon movie from the nineties. It's kind of no, tough too. It's that kinda, doesn't count. It's kind of X-Men. Tough too. And like, I think what like a short story collection can do that a movie couldn't do is that besides, uh, the, the Anglin brothers and Frank Morris, like people didn't make it out of Alcatraz. Right. So there's not a lot of compelling movie shit that could go on there. You know, because if if you make a movie about a prison, people are going to escape. That's well, that's why. I mean, thinking about it, that's why there's so much trouble making another Alcatraz movie. Because what do you got? You've got the potential to use it has been used about as good as you can use it. I think that The Rock is kind of a dumbass movie, but it was enjoyable at the time. Fuck off! That movie rules. <laughs> it's fu- it's fucking stupid. Have you watched it lately? No, no, it's, to be it's honest, pretty, but no, stupid. but dog, dog, <laughs> exactly. dog, dog, exactly. I watched, dog, I watched that thing like 18 times as a kid. Like of I was like, tw- I was like 12 years old. That did. movie, when does go talking. home and fuck the prom queen? And I was like, right. I want to I fuck the prom queen. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 you know, I'm not going to take that away from, from young Dave, <laughs> young Dave, enjoy it. But if you watched it now, you'd say, wow, that does not hold up. Right. But my, my point is that they used it beautifully, which is Alcatraz is closed. So let's use it. A tour group gets kidnapped and held there. We get to use, they get to use the environment of it. They get to use the, the like myth of it. And so that used it well. The only other thing you can do is tell the story of the one escape. And they did that already mm-hmm. with Clint Eastwood. Right. After that, what else can you do with it? 
You know what I'm saying? Because right. like you just said, the compelling stories all ha- happened before those guys got there because those guys got there and slowly died. Mm-hmm. Like, you're ever going to tell the Al Capone story? Yeah, right. Alcatraz. Right. Now, Nick Corpin does in our book. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does visit because because you can get in and out, right? Like you can right. you can you got a lot of Al Capone stories though, right? We got a ton of them in the slush pile, yeah, because people wanted it, but that's because they were their brains were clouded by Al Capone's. They Googled it and it's famous prisoners, and Al Capone came up to the top. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, we got I got to write about Al Capone, but Al Capone's life is interesting until he gets to Alcatraz, right? You know, the Birdman of Alcatraz is interesting until he gets to Alcatraz, where he had no birds. Right. That's what people seem to forget. Right. You know, it, with there are some people that there, you know, there was that famous uprising there. There was that, uh, you know, the riots, and there was a lot of weird shit with the uh, the families, and we've we touch on all that stuff. I, you know? Yeah, I don't want to get too much like into like seeming like I'm I'm, I'm pimping the book, but I really was impressed by how creative like everybody got with their stories you know because yeah, and those frankly were the, frankly if you had come to me and asked me for a story i honestly i don't know what i would do you know yeah and i don't want to i don't want to blow my own horn too much but the, a lot of those were based on prompts that i i racked my brain about what i wanted to see that hadn't that didn't exist right 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 people hadn't already done it. i picture you in a pyramid of beer cans right now is that is that what's happening that is uh, that is exactly what just happened. <laughs> I just knocked over my pyramid. <laughs> I'm ge- oh shit. Anyway, I'm long ge- story I'm short, up, gearing up for my acid trip. So hey, okay. <laughs> my dog is eating her butt. Stop eating that butt. That's gonna freak me out when I'm tripping. So you need to stop. Uh, anyway. Anyway. So yeah, the uh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna put this this podcast on that Great Jones Street. We should probably give a shout to them since we've taken over the uh, their Twitter feed. Yeah, that thing is cool. What is that? Is that a is that a like a net? I I get the impression it's like a Netflix type thing for stories. Yeah, it's like a, it's like an app you put on your phone and you can pull up uh, fiction. Um, what I'm trying to do is rotate a lot of the hard sentences people um, that also have stories at Great Jones Street so that. It can kind of cross pollinate. People that like one will check out the other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's cool. So I'm hoping, like in the next couple of days, to get uh, Carrie Laban. Is it Labine Laban? However you pronounce it. I always pronounce it Laban in my head, but I've never met her in real life, so I don't know. I met her, but I don't think we said her last name. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's yeah, funny. It, like that really happens, right? It's like, it's like yeah. my name is David Keaton. Hello. Exactly. Yeah. But he, uh, she, um, she just won the Shirley Jackson Award for her short Ooh. story. No so, shit, that's badass. So I want to, yeah, I want to remind people uh, that she's got a story in hard sentences because, um, and she also has one at Great Jones Street. But hers is kind of porny. It's, uh, it's got, it's like one of the explicit ones. Mm-hmm, right. It would right. be nice if, um, if I could uh, promote a different, her other story. But I have to figure out that website yet. But um, the other thing I was, I meant to tell you is, uh, I did that Goodreads giveaway. Of hard sentences. Was it worthless? It's fucking worthless, dude. No, no, it's totally. No, I've done it. I've done it with. Uh, I've done it with a few books. I th- did we do it with Last Projector? I can't remember. Yeah, but usually you find out afterwards it's worthless because you don't get uh, shit from it. Uh-huh. This time I started to notice because I started. You know, I, I've got it. I'm sitting there watching the clock when the contest runs out to watch people entering it, yeah. and um, if you go to their feed, you can see when they entered it. 
So this is the second time this has happened. Like I've discovered some sort of fucking scam. Mm. This dude entered it one minute before he won. So that's Wait, that's the that's the second time I've seen that happen. What? So so a guy sets up he sets up a, a an account like a month ago it says, and he's entered like twenty contests, and he seems to I don't know if he won the other ones, but I'm gonna assume he did, because. I think he's got some sort of hacking shit going on because it says um, if you go to his timeline, it says entered uh, entered Goodreads giveaway at you know like eleven eleven fifty nine on this date, and that's like one minute before it ends, and then he wins. So is it just basing it based on the last person who signed up for it, or what? No, I think there must be some sort of hackery going on there. Like I don't think that he's. He's figured anything out. What I think kind that, of fucking dumbass hacker is getting free books? Well, that's another thing. So I look at it. The guy's got zero reviews, mm. but he has, um, he's entered, you know, a shit ton of uh, giveaways. And, um, and let's why? say for sake of argument, he wins all of them. So I think they maybe they just sell them on eBay. I don't know. It's weird. No, it's weird. that's weird, man. I mean, I don't, but it might be, I, I don't, I do not doubt what you're saying, but I don't. I don't see the end game. I don't know. Maybe let's say that it's a bot and let's say there's a hundred of them. Yeah. Uh, let's say that now there's a warehouse of books. I don't know. So yeah. I sent, I sent a uh, Goodreads an email that sounded about as unhinged as the explanation I just gave you. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> to, ex- to explain you just take to a picture of the fucking cork board <laughs> on your wall with the, with the, with the, with the red the yard. Pants. Yeah. <laughs> The Pepe Sylvia. <laughs> yeah. And just like just like a picture of uh, Matthew McConaughey from True Detective, like, you know, pointing at different. So instead of that, explaining how I would not be sending this person who has clearly gamed a system, I would not be sending Oh, them. you Oh, you defected. Yeah. You're like, fuck this. I won't be doing it. Uh-huh. And then, to make matters worse, I also said, I'm also considering not sending the book to the other person that won, because it was three books. Uh, the second person, their their account, their account is private, so it's not visible to anyone, and she has zero reviews. So I'm like, she'll never review it, and even if she did, no one will see it. So I don't feel like I should send right. her a book either. Right. And then I said, P.S. The third person looks legit. I'll be sending them a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, I actually, I think, I mean, it's mildly unhinged. I'll give you that, but. You also have a point because the whole reason we do these things is so that people will buy them and review them and potentially expose them to audiences that we don't otherwise have. I never this, considered this is the fucking, private, this is the fucking yeah. struggle of, of small presses. It's You try to get yeah. outside of your bubble, and as soon as you get outside of your bubble, you butt up against 18 different paywalls. Like there's just paywalls everywhere. It's like, oh, got to pay. And it's one of those things yeah. you see in crime movies all the time where they'll go to a club – and, uh, you know, they'll be like, I'm here to do the deal. And they're like, okay, give us all your money. We're going to go inside and we're going to come back with your drugs, you know? <laughs> and they're like, okay, well, we got to take this risk, I guess. Like that's, that's every single paywall in the book world. It's just yeah. pay, pay money to this thing. And maybe the Eastern European bouncer will come back with a briefcase <laughs> full of drugs. Or maybe he'll right. come back and say, I don't know who the fuck you are. Get out of here. Or I'm going to call right. the cops. Or- that's the that's the best scene in Mean Streets when they do that. These guys come up to him at the beginning and they they want to. I think they want to buy fireworks. 
He's like, give me, give me what you got. What do you got? He's like, got a hundred bucks. He's like, all right. And then they drive away and they're like, all right, let's go see a movie. (laughs) They never come back. back. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's one thing I never considered as a possibility with the good reason. There's always something new, you know, there's always a new way to fuck you up. And if somebody has a private account, why would I give them free book? Like, well, and it's also, I mean, how, how can you even enter one? If you have a private account, it gets tough, dude. Like we've got to start cracking down because I gave away 25 copies of Kelby Losak's Heathenish uh-huh. in, in exchange for reviews. That was it. Like, just do the reviews by this certain date. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's like floating around like 15 reviews right now. And five of them weren't even people I gave books to. So, I don't well, know. Well, we, we swore we were going to cut them off after Last Projector. We gave, we passed around at least that many. Yeah. Yeah, and, and people uh, were like, oh yeah, I got it, and they opened it, and they're like, this, so thing, like, is, this thing is six hundred pages. What the this, fuck? This, this is six hundred <laughs> pages, and it's all italics, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's like uh, I don't know. You, you can't you can't ask them to. Uh, it's weird to try to get a review, but then you don't want to have a fucking bootleg no, site was, stealing I mean, your shit. No, all was, you're doing is giving it to a bootleg site anyway. Well, basically, like I was. Uh, just trying to publicly shame those people, but really, that's just the cost of doing business. To be honest, I mean, you gotta right. you gotta eat some shit. You don't have to eat a fucking bot. That is I know. clearly, that's the you know, but but you gotta if, eat. If like, we had time, if we had time, I would I would read to the email that I have uh, that I'm, I haven't quite messaged to the bot itself. Yeah. Um, but I've had I've gone through so many scenarios of like what happens if Dave, this are is you, just Dave. Are you, so, are you are you talking to the bot right now? <laughs> What what if this is some mastermind and he's like, I've been looking for a little project, so I'm going to like hijack <laughs> this guy's life, you know, because I'm sitting here like I want to call I got I got all these theories about this, this bot and why he wants my book so bad. You want to know my theory about you, Dave? Here's my theory about you. <laughs> you were a guy that God created because you're you're a big dude, right? You're a big, bald guy with a beard. You got you got nice muscles. You're you're aggressive, clearly. Like you're not afraid of confrontation. I really do feel like you were a guy who God meant to be hit over the head, really, really hard. Uh, but for whatever reason, that didn't happen. So God was giving you too much of this like insight and intelligence, right? Like to kind of compensate for what was going to happen when you eventually got hit over the head with like a heavy object. And that just never happened. So now you have all this extra brain space <laughs> that's being that you don't know that you don't know what to do with. And so you're arguing with robots on Amazon. <laughs> I like that theory. I didn't process all of it, but I like the idea that it says that I, that I'm wasted on this world. If that's yeah, the yeah. if that's the gist of it, I'm I'm fully fully yeah, on board. That's that's basically it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of. I'm, I mean, I've that heard be, very. Be, I've heard variations be. of your theory before. Most of them all come back to why are you wasting your time on strangers on the internet? Does, Isn't that how, like how, that's how the, many times the world a month? Every story. How many times a month does Amy say why are you doing this? Oh, it's, dude, it's daily. It's daily. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I thought she'd be excited when, when I, I got when, it, I, when, I, when I came to visit when I came to visit uh, you guys in Santa Clara. Like I. Uh, uh, basically anytime that you were away and me and Amy would like have a cigarette and, and we would just both be like, you just can't stop him. Can you? And she would be like, no, not really. <laughs> she well, has like why... this, she has like this apocalypse now veteran look to her where she just like, 
<laughs> this is going to happen. Well, I, I thought she'd be excited that I was able to focus on at least the real world with this parking situation with all these <laughs> with all these people parking in you front hate, of the house. You hate people parking in your driveway. I mean, we're making it sound a lot more exotic than it is. Basically, I'm I'm just exactly like every old asshole who's <laughs> who's frustrated about I've never been in a house before, so like I'm sort of checking the perimeter all the time. Right, <laughs> right. Know? I've been on the third floor for my, the first 40 years of my life, so right. you know I don't know what, the, what why am I on ground level? This doesn't make any sense to me. It's right. very vulnerable down here. Oh, dude, this there was this uh, there's this giant truck in my apartment complex, and the truck always parks in two spots basically, and so uh, my old man thing that I've started doing is like squeezing into the spot on the driver's hand side so that I'm barely in the spot, but that I'm completely blocking off the driver's door. Like you can't get in the driver's side. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's so many. It's it's a chess game. Mm -hmm. Driving is, it's not driving. I thought was going to be, it was going to dominate a lot of my life. Um, But it turns out parking is much more interesting. It is. Yeah. Parking is infinitely more dangerous and interesting than driving. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, well, and on that note <laughs> yeah i was gonna say yeah on that note we got we, like every time you and i talk like normally when i do a podcast i get to an hour and i'm like all right that's about it but when i talk to you it's we've been talking for an hour and 40 minutes uh so it's probably time to to hang up yeah man i, I gotta check the perimeter anyway dude i <laughs> dude i made it through a whole episode while drinking beer and i didn't say anything offensive and I didn't like start. Oh well, let's yeah. Let wait till the editing. I maybe, said. <laughs> I said. Find I said retarded one time, and I, I I apologize for that, everybody. But I'm no, I'm I'm literally putting this. Out. I'm going to cut out the part where I go to pee, and then uh, I'm put I'm putting it up. So fuck it. <laughs> All right, dude. All right, I'm I'm actually going on. This is the this is the chain. I'm actually I'm actually stepping outside, holding the computer in front of my face. You going outside? To check, I'm checking the perimeter. I'm outside. Do you have a broom? I don't, but I'm hoping something interesting will happen. Are you in your boxers? Uh, no, I am in. Uh, I, was sweat. Picturing, I was picturing boxers and, and wife beater. No, it's worse than that. These are sweats that I've turned into shorts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dude. It looks like the house is safe, so I'm gonna go. All right, cool, bud. All right, I'll <laughs> All talk right. to you later, man. All right, talk to you later. Bye. Bye.